Who are you? Now I go. Yeah. Okay. Hi, I'm Jenny Schoons. I'm a pop star. That's true. What are you doing, Jenny? Uh, I'm currently sitting in my living room in the sun with some wine and some strawberries nursing a hangover. It's eight Why in the morning. Why do you follow me, Jenny? Uh, gangbang. I, I listened to Gangbang and then I found you through that. And I realized that there was a slightly more intellectual side to proceedings. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love the idea that anyone has been introduced to me from Gangbang and then like goes the other way and yeah. uh, sees me from <laughs> screaming Madonna Stan all the way back to whatever it is I'm doing here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, welcome to the show. And Thank we're you. joined still by Sam and Donna, who we have dragged through episode two. Donna has been here since the very beginning of this trilogy of episodes discussing uh, Foucault. And today we are going to end the whole conversation with a discussion on volume three, The Care of the Self, and Sono Shion's four-hour-long masterpiece epic of erections and panty shots, love exposure. So thanks, everyone, for joining. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome back, everybody. So, okay, The History of Sexuality, Volume 3. Before we get all the way into it, I'm curious, Jenny, what did you kind of, what was your experience with the first two volumes? Well, I loved the first volume because I think in the cultural moment that we find ourselves in right now, there's a tendency to sort of, I would say to rely on a set of like a discourse mm. about sexuality and gender um, as if it is like, you know, the sacred word. It's like fact, it's set in stone. Um, whereas actually it is much more complex than that, much more varied than that, and much less, well, much sexier. And, <laughs> um, so for me, the kind of main thing I took away from just that initial reading of the first volume was a sense of kind of liberation from, from having to take on the present discourse. And like, you know, I think... So I'm a transsexual woman and I've really like, since reading the first volume, kind of shouldered off the idea that I am transgender because for me, I just don't think I really like the term anymore. It has this sort of like implication of a very normative, medicalized, socialized transition. Um, whereas there's something kind of sexy about the like slightly invasive scientific sort of prodding you between your legs of like transsexual that's like somehow more true to the experience um and I think something at the heart of the first volume uh the idea of the consultation and this idea of like the science of sexuality as this kind of means of kind of forcing information out of the subject um, that really struck a chord with my experiences of like um, gender clinics in the UK, which are awful, uh, <laughs> and the way Famous the way they so. treat the way they treat uh, transsexual or transgender people um, as these sort of uh, these these subjects to be kind of penetrated and interrogated emotionally and kind of held up to this th this invasive set of rules but like that set of rules is just made up yeah absolutely um, so yeah. it's it's all uh all just discourse and isn't it just yeah exactly and i'm also curious what you kind of took away from the sort of like modulation in the second volume about how boys the love of boys and that this sort of like ancient culture and how individuals are able to sort of recognize like themselves and like create like life through sexuality and like the uh instinct towards like repression and how people work within that is sort of uh it's a style like a stylized form of living in itself like it's its own art form did you did you feel anything yes. about that 
the aesthetics of living. I thought yeah. everything about that, obviously. Right. Um, I mean, I think there's something so exciting about the idea that like the kind of separating the self from that kind of ontological idea of like, you know, like I'm a gay man. These are the things that I like, these are the kind of things that I can watch and the things that I can make references to. Whereas there's something much more interesting, compelling about the idea of sort of like, actually you're just an individual who performs acts, some of, well, all of which are sexualized in some way. Um, Yeah, no, I found that, obviously very um very sexy as a as a, a transsexual with a with a taste for gay men uh, <laughs> it offered some hope um and I think also I mean the um the kind of the idea of twinks in our modern landscape and comparing that to uh what Foucault was saying about boys in the second volume uh, was really interesting because I think, you know, the whole, all of the anxieties that he seemed to identify around that were to do with basically just like a fear of being too feminized. Um, and then kind of recognizing a similar thing in sissy culture and twink culture, but also it's kind of slightly grotesque opposite in fully embracing those things. Yeah, totally. I felt the same way. And it's a beautiful point to launch us into the care of the self, which I'm going to do my best at describing (laughs) this briefly. (laughs) um, This is the sort of next step from the Grecian discourse of the second volume in which we kind of start moving into um, references towards like the Roman downfall and how we see images of the sexualized living uh, begin to change and refocus onto ideas of marriage and Foucault's sort of base argument here is that the sort of refocus on marriage and the gesturing away from boys love is is less so a start to repression or even like an entrance into the Christian sort of sex fear that we have later but is um actually a sort of extension of a introduction to notions of caring of the self and um, how sort of like the the volume two stuff about how people were able to begin realizing themselves sexually like as a form of stylized living like this is sort of making the case that people in sort of caring about their own daily existence and how they inhabit the world that sort of discourse was able to change the way people um, begin relating to sex. Does that sound like right? Do I like sound coherent saying that? No, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank God. <laughs> um, Donna, you've been my guiding light through oh, all of this. <laughs> so I'm curious what you took away from volume three. Um, I mean, yeah, volume three, what's interesting about it is that uh, sexuality is viewed uh, through dreams and uh, like how dreams can expose one's desires. And I think that links to, you know, modern psychoanalysis and interpretation of dreams. And, um, but it's still in the same lines of the volume two where it's more about who's active and who's passive. And uh, like, it's always good if you're the, you know, the, the active uh subject not the passive one and i think he introduces here also the uh, the start of the mistrust of uh, pleasure and uh, more inclination towards the you know the good of marriage and yeah like moving away from pleasure which i think paves the way to christianity's view of sex and sexuality yeah absolutely sam what was your reading here <laughs> <laughs> Um, I kind of read in between the lines because he kind of slightly discussed the economic shifts and how this kind of resulted in the shifts in the morality and the family and kind of away from the Greek city states to the Roman Empire and 
how that kind of allowed people a little more freedom where they weren't having to do things like represent their families and, you know, government or something. So they did it because they felt like they wanted to, you know, the head of self kind of became more um, manifested and kind of resulted in this strict morality, which kind of relates to nowadays where we have this deep individualism of like sexuality and rules, but instead of having this strict regimen on yourself, it's like nothing matters. We can do whatever we want. And it's kind of the contrast and seeing how it shifted gradually and manifested into what we have nowadays. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely fascinating that we're stuck with the beginning moralism that we get um, in this book and like the entrance into that distance from pleasure. But we actually have no regimen of care to the self. Like we have like no artistic way of creating ourselves and like governing our own like existences. Like that part is absent, but the distance from pleasure has only grown wider as time has gone on, I think. Definitely. Also like a little less sexy, like the lack of regimen, I feel like makes people not care when like, even in our society, people who like go to the gym or like put some effort, I feel like we still value as like the sexier person because they put all this time into being like a desirable person versus like not. (laughs) (laughs) Jenny's like popping off in the corner. Oh, I just, I just had thoughts. (laughs) Go ahead. No, um, and then I'll go into my main thoughts about volume three, but just um, with regards to what Sam was saying, um, I mean, I agree. I think that is that kind of worship of the the subject who is able to follow regimen and discipline themselves, uh, the, the active subject, the masculine subject, that like we're still in that. Um, but I think that's interesting just for me personally, because like, you know, I love the nubile form of like a little femme twink who like doesn't ever <laughs> move and just reclines on a little chaise long and has grapes you know and it's like the very she's just hitting on that. sam right now <laughs> maybe i am <laughs> like a woman in the very last part who's like taking the man she's supposed to find a partner but she's like actually you're mine i want you <laughs> mm, i love mm. i was obsessed with that um there's like- so much good stuff in like the the boys section about um like sort of like these like mishima like style twinks that are all uh there's some i wonder if i can find the quote but they also have like the my favorite definition of beauty for men, which is the constantly looking away and refusing to be recognized and seeming like they exist in a different world. So seeing Foucault put that into sexual discourse was riveting. Mm, Absolutely. (laughs) So Jenny, what did you kind of get from the whole experience of the book? Yeah, no, I think one of the things I found most interesting about it was, first of all, the idea of the, the, onus for like care of the self shifting to like being the individual's responsibility and doing it for yourself and that kind of um it not being about the city anymore and about reputation and about like governance but more just about this sort of like aesthetics of ethics in your daily life but how that was so bound up with the idea of like imperial Rome and empire, meaning that like city, that that kind of like city-state way of life is diffused. Um, And I think it's it's just interesting for, to kind of bring that back to the first volume and how he talks about um, the ways in which ideas of like sex and sexuality were uh, perpetuated across the later empires and like kind of what we understand as colonialism now um, and like eugenics and all of that. It's like a similar sort of the context of that sort of geographical expansion is this sort of simultaneous expansion in the kind of domains in which those ideas of self control or discipline or later on kind of eugenics and uh, determinism right like are enacted yeah absolutely I guess this is 
most interesting to me as a conclusion to this trilogy of uh, books of art. We've been kind of discussing this like throughout the journey we've made through Foucault, but at least for Donna and I, and I believe Sam too, we all kind of um, have been, you know, approaching it like less seriously as like direct like theory and, you know, really reading it with a lot of seriousness about application, but just um, looking into this like really bizarro and extremely idiosyncratic book of artistic perspective where Foucault is really just, you know, he's just writing. It, it is really this like sort of a novel-like experience. And um, it is heartbreaking to reach this and like know that, you know, it was never truly finished. And recently mm. they, they've published the uh, fourth volume in translation, which is um, I believe like an incomplete draft, but I kind of like the narrative of finishing the book and having it be incomplete and like staring into the rest of um, history of sexuality and having no comment on it. <laughs> yeah, I also think uh, what you just said about the kind of it, yeah the the text is artwork is really true for um, the first volume especially because it doesn't in the same way as like the second to kind of each chapter, he'll go through his like numbered points as he like deconstructs the text. Like the first one is, is literally just him like spitting bars, just like going off <laughs> on one without any real sort of like uh, sense of a need for like that sort of, I guess like what can, what a contemporary philosophical text would do. Well, that, yeah, people hate the, the, all three of these volumes for that exact reason because yeah. they they don't like that this isn't such like a, a proof and like sort of like dialectically based text no and I I because I like I've just finished a degree and I found it when I started reading it like because in my degree I only read kind of Foucault in snapshots and there would be these like photocopied bits and they would seem very like impenetrable because they were out of context but okay. reading him in this form I was very kind of shocked by just like how like he was just doing his own thing. Uh. <laughs> oh, um, I thought that changing the host would. <laughs> Great. Did you all get the little pop of this? Says the meeting's going to end in 10 minutes. I did. Uh -huh. Oh, oh, yeah, I did. It's fine. Thank I'll thank just send. I'll send. Meeting. We will like we will edit this. We will keep it as a record and then I will just uh, send a link. Oh, OK. Um. Well, uh, should, we, should we redo that now? Or do we want to go through okay, it 10 more sure, minutes? Sure. <laughs> okay, let's, let's do that now then. <laughs> okay. okay. Okay, now we're back. Okay, uh, so yeah, we uh, all got to experience the art of uh, Foucault together. And I really enjoyed the process of just like reading this like slowly over donna when did we record the first episode even oh, it's like march or april yeah yeah i think so yeah so a whole four months later and you know getting to share the experience with everyone i'm interested as towards how everyone like feels about the overall art project of the history of, of sexuality as we conclude on this last note like what moved you what do you feel from this uh trilogy of gay novels uh like at least for me it's it made me suspicious of any book that says queering the ancient uh, greek queering ancient roman the history queering of anything yeah queering, <laughs> or any or any history of sexuality that has been made i think uh like th these four volumes by foucault should, should be read by everyone and taken seriously again because they really transform how we view sexuality, morality, and ethics and everything. It's really amazing. I mean, what a shame that, that we basically have just been left with this horrendous misreading of queer theory Foucault yeah. that continues to seep through everyone's brains. And this kind of queer theory, if you want to call it that, where it really is just about reading through what actually exists and seeing how sexuality manifests into different forms of identification. I mean, it's so not like retelling the story, you know, like the, the sort of queer theory that everyone imagines is like reading for queerness in instances that it doesn't exist. But instead, like this is 
um, finding like how it like seeps out and filters into everything. And mm -hmm. I am heartbroken that people don't yeah. read it correctly. Like imagine someone now thinking that they can apply the concept of what we know now as non-binary to history, any point in history. I mean, that would be ridiculous because they wouldn't take into uh, account all the different like the, the the way they viewed sexuality was so different back then like you can't really mm. take a concept like that and mm. apply it uh like a friend sent me asked me to find a book that is called exploring uh gender in antiquity and it's all about like transgenderism in greece blah blah, blah. like the, the titles of the essays are really ridiculous mm. Uh, gender uh, blending bodies in classical Greek medicine. But I don't know. Blending bodies. I don't know. Oh my god, that sounds fun. That sounds sexy. Uh, yeah, I'd love to blend bodies. I want to blend bodies. <laughs> I'm bored. Who wants to blend bodies? Who's that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well he. Oh, go ahead, Sam. I was going to say, like in the first book, he talks a lot about how the more we talk about sex, the more it kind of imposes this kind of like sexual austerity, and like I feel mm. like societies and queer theories kind of fall in a problem where academia and stuff has fallen into talking about it so much they've been completely devoid of sex and most of them aren't even having sex because they're boring losers so it's like they're not if you're, if, you're, if you're having sex and doing all these things like you're not talking about all of this all the time like these people mm -hmm. and they don't even read Foucault if they do it just they talk so much like a telephone game where they kind of keep saying the thing and they don't actually know what they're talking about anymore I feel like yeah. that's what it's like nowadays Absolutely. No, I agree. And I think, uh, <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, there are, I think there are a lot of points when I was reading it and I was like, I'm going to stop reading. I'm going to go and have sex. And like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think one of the things that really sort of made me think about was just like, you know, just like embody the things that you want to embody and do them. Um, because like, we're so trapped in so many different uh, layers of like queer discourse that's so boring and so unsexy. Um, yeah, I think it, it showed me the sexiness of just like going to a field and getting fucked at 2 a.m. <laughs> it showed you that. Amazing. <laughs> no, I just feel as if I, I really had so much beauty come out of this experience and I mean we were talking about in the previous installment how like I started exercising again because of like volume two like I wish more people could sort of take like the philosophy of this book which is really merely that everything is sort of I mean this is the thing that everyone sort of wants to shit on him for but like everything is like a construction and the way that sexuality exists is you know something that has just been filtered downward into the way we speak and talk and how everything is really just like this abstraction of sexuality and I think that's such a beautiful way of looking at reality mm. it means that everything is sex it is right this is sex <laughs> we're having sex <laughs> yeah exactly yeah but poor Sam I you know queen of dialectical theory <laughs> do you do you feel like uh this is this is true what this book is suggesting so far no um <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I can tell he's had a lot of inspiration from like like scientific socialism marxism but i also know like he wasn't the most adamant when he was part of like the french communist party for example mm -hmm. like i think compared to most like like liberal like queer theory types he has a much more material analysis of like sex and like I think he's correct where it's like this is all nonsense for the most part like being gay or bi or demisexual whatever like these are all fake like these are all newer and nonsense and it's like there's no material basis for this besides like this is what you use to express people even though it's been imposed on you for like numerous mm. venues like media so it's like oh if you like boys you're gay and this is how you must act and do all of this and I'm like I'm kind of the point like we're like I don't even I don't like the label gay. I think it's kind of restricting and stupid and limiting. I'm like, this is all dumb. Like the best thing is like just do what you want and I don't really give a shit. Like which I think Foucault is right about. Like just Hey Sam. 
<laughs> it's interesting to think about like how these labels have helped civil right movements though or like mm-hmm. movements to get more rights for a group of people but now it's being used uh, to make people who are not a minority a minority for instance like mm-hmm. to just mm-hmm. like put this label on and then yeah it's it's it needs to be looked into like how these things are no it's a really interesting conflict because um sorry my cat just climbed yeah. in the window of the Cute. room I'm in <laughs> hey bestie um because I think in um <clears throat> in English literary culture anyway in the early 20th century there was like a lot of space for kind of undiagnosed queerness or queerness without a um without a labor or a way of sort of pinning down bodies and um trying to sort of like medicalize or whatever them um but that that only worked for you know like the aristocrats and the people who had those kind of privileges to be able to pursue pleasure um and I think there is like there's a similar sort of conflict that Foucault picks up on throughout all three volumes about how like this is basically all just about men and like the the women and the slaves their you know their pleasure isn't relevant and uh they are just these passive things um so yeah I think that there's got to be something there to do with like the naming of things as being kind of, I guess it makes everyone the same thing. So is equalizing <laughs> yeah. in one way, but like, that's actually not freedom. That's really well, like- I mean, like in trying to name everything, you end up naming nothing is mm. the the big problem of it. And everything I mean- Everything is I've... too vast and complex and beautiful to reduce to- No, I completely that. agree to, to just, you know, words and, and this is why i'm not a communist <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i uh i have talked about this endlessly about how i just feel as if it's such a boring thing for me to be like genderqueer or like non-binary or like any of those words when just like the mystery and ecstasy of being engaged with as i am is more than i ever need and you know, we're, we're kind of funneling this all at the gaze in here, but this is so pervasive. I mean, it goes into, you know, marriage is one of the major um, hallmarks of this book and how the stylized form of artistically living in monogamy is like also kind of victim to this endless like naming and structuring of, of language. Mm. So... Do we have anything else we want to say about the care of the self? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we're all kind of a little befuddled by this one. (laughs) Maybe I'm just speaking for me, but I was like, I was really getting with it with the dreams in the very beginning. And then as the uh, book like deepens into the marriage, I found myself more lost than I I have been in in the other two volumes. Do you not think that's just because it's about heterosexual marriage? And, you know, you know <laughs> it really could be that because once the boy section kicked back in I was awake and no, alert. this is me in in volume two you know like the whole bit about like the prescriptive like ethics of like when people can do certain things mm. so bored and then the love of boys I was like I'm here I'm ready see mine was like everything was boring about the like the regimen and the beginning stuff. I hate all the name dropping. I'm like, I don't know who the fuck you're talking about. There's yeah. so many else them similar. I don't care. <laughs> but like, like I found the wife part and like the boys part, the most interesting. So kind of Me like, too. it was all things that kind of were like understandable and like still relevant. And I'm like, I feel like the like, especially in the Greek one, it was kind of fun because it's like, oh, they're married, but like the wife doesn't really matter. They're still going to have all the fun things. I mean, it's not <laughs> for the women. Like, it's not a fun period for any women in this time period, but like for the men, it's kind of like it's kind of exciting. It's fun, like <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I I mean, honestly, like I w- I think if I'd been about them, I would have been one of these like sort of like notorious slutty submissive boys that like 
had no respect and had no moderation and just sort of like got hauled about and it would have been great and I've had a great time and it would end in tragedy no obviously I would die in like a horrible event of like that's all beautiful boys should like literally like that should be like the end of the beautiful boy is like violent murder either they die in violent murder or they become a woman they become a woman they murder tragic (laughs) yeah they become Miss Scorpion Yeah, or they uh, meet you with suicide. So that's that's the only options we have now. the end of our journey through three films and three books is the towering pillar of Japanese perversion, Love Exposure, directed, of course, by Soma Shion. And this is a film about a young man, a young Catholic uh, teenager named Yu and his journey through sin, perversion, and um, religious cults. What else is here? Um, drag. Karate style. Porn. Yeah. Drag, um, transvesticism, <laughs> everything. <laughs> uh, pornography. Um, every single aspect of the human sexual living is beautifully captured in this four-hour movie. And I'm very curious what Donna and Sam have to think after having seen the, the <laughs> last, last, after a Guilty of Romance, what was kind of your impression of the film? Uh, I'll go first. Sure. <laughs> I, I, I think uh, um, what Foucault didn't do in History of Sexuality, uh, Shion has done in his movies. <laughs> uh, I think I think more, they're more informative towards what's the history of sexuality than than his than his books. Um, and I watched uh, Love Exposure last night, uh, and uh, it was fascinating from from the start. You know the elements of religion, and then like the adolescent sexuality as well uh the difference between like the girl and the boy and what they desire and the thing the the kind of abuse they both get from their fathers and mothers and um and the religion the religious uh, system that is imposed upon them their the relationship with sin and all of that and it, it was such a moving ride and it was funny as well uh yeah it just made me cry towards the end it was just so beautiful yeah, the first, I mean, anti-porno and guilty of romance are really bleak. So I'm yeah. overjoyed that we get to end with the uh, handshake at the end when they finally can embrace through the broken car window. So yeah, yeah, I'm really happy that we get to end with the brightness for once on the show. Yeah. Sam, what did you think? I you, Sam, I also just love that I forced you to, you don't even like love movies that much. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just I was like, okay, watch this four hour Japanese movie. Did you watch it in one sitting? Yeah. I sat oh, down. I know. And I love I would watch it again, like, which is kind of like Same. for me, like the idea of a four hour movie, and it's like, oh, those fucking Marvel movies. I'm like, that sounds horrible. And this was like, I, it flew by. It was very funny. And like, it never really like dragged on. Like, it kind of just like went through the motions. And you saw like some fucking crazy shit, like <laughs> the dick getting cut. I was like, oh, this is oh, yeah. comfortable. <laughs> um, also, you, the main guy, is that his name? You? Mm-hmm. He could get it. Um, so that made <laughs> um, you could no, it was, it. it was great. Like the movie was really good, and I don't know, I liked it. <laughs> That's cute. Okay, Jenny, what did you think with from your one viewing? I think you know, I was actually quite kind of surprised by how unsexy I found most of the film. 
I think the only bit that like actively turned me on was when, I don't know what this says about me, but when um, the, the like porno manager guy was trying to get you to like actually have sex with people. I was like, oh, why is that hot? This is sexy. Force me it's to be in a porno. like seeing young boys getting whored out. Maybe it is. <laughs> no, I mean, I um, I think actually anti-porno and guilty of romance are sexier movies than this. Like um, this, this is about sex and it's very moving and emotional and sexual, but it's definitely not hot, really. No, I, I agree. I don't think it's very hot. Apart from, I think Yoko has her moments, like of sort of being a bit like sultry and sensual. Oh, she's gorgeous for sure. And yeah. the running th- uh, theme of this three uh, piece episode is how amazing Son Shion is with casting. And mm. the Koike, who is the leader of a cult, which the main character's family gets dragged into. And eventually he has to go through the motions of as well is sort of the most like chilling bitch I've ever seen in like any movie. Um, She is God. So traumatized as a young girl that she ends up uh, snapping her dad's boner and then severing it with scissors, as Sam mentioned. And um, that scene made me scream the first time I watched it. I literally screamed. Um, I I love uh, her role in this movie and basically like the idea here is that you is trying to find his virgin um, Mary basically that's the start yeah that's the start um, from his dead mom who sort of installed this desire in him and his father really struggles to cope with the death of this woman and begins uh working as a priest as a catholic priest and (laughs) from there uh he goes through a really tumultuous dramatic relationship with a kind of hussy girl and um by halfway through the movie uh you is trying to sin in any way he can to sort of um Mm. appease his father is the is the sort of praxis of, of the first section of the movie so we can talk a little bit about these first two hours um the title card doesn't even come on until the first hour of the movie ends and we get um this extraordinary cross-dressing martial arts scene um and there's a lot of tension leading up to this moment because the film has this huge whopping bass sound and then a title card telling you like 365 days until the miracle like two hours until the miracle so it kind of explodes like before the movie is like technically even started at an hour in Mm -hmm. so yeah what did you all think about the first section of the film I found it interesting like how the how you's sexuality developed like it starts with his mother instilling this image of Virgin Mary and uh, apparently like he's not really exposed to any women in his life or like the, his desire for women is not activated until his mother tells him about this and then his desire grows into another path when when he's trying to confess his sins to his father and his father is like this is bullshit these are not really sins and somehow like his father pushes him towards committing actual perverse acts which is like taking peek a panty pictures from with from different girls which is like hilarious to me uh and then you know culminate like the the end with is when um yeah the the kids he's he's working with to take these perverse pictures uh they uh, they, as a form of punishment, they make they make him dress up as a as a as a woman called Miss Scorpion, and then he saves that girl. And once he sees her, and she puts on this I don't know veil or something, he's just like, yeah, right. this is Mary. I want her. Mm-hmm. But then, but then the the girl uh, thinks that Miss Scorpion is a woman. So so she she thinks that she's a lesbian or something, and she. She's also like, she's like a man hater. I hate all men, blah, blah, blah. So their different desires kind of contrast and they, they're both trying to find each other, but they can't because it's impossible. And I love this, this impossibility. I, I think um, that tension that you just described, it's like, there's a real, in the film, there's a real sense of a fear of his own, masculinity like you know like a kind of 
like when his first fat boner comes it's like it's kind of it's comical but it's also like overwhelming but then at the same time there's also like the the effect of him getting dressed up in drag um and also the effect I think of like all of the like Pika Panty pictures he takes before meeting um Yoko it's very kind of sort of n- numbing I think there's this real this real like especially at the end when when he's like in the psych ward in drag it's like the the feminine persona is somehow kind of sapped dry of like any sort of sensuality and like so are his like interactions with those like with all the random girls like he's not getting off on it like all his friends are um so I think there's like a really interesting yeah and he he ties like the boner to love actually I yeah think exactly yeah the like love the, boner. the boner which is the, one of the reoccurring motifs of the movie which is like comically huge and like we see like the really frightening outline of it and it has like, the most like, <laughs> disturbing shape you've ever seen um and uh yeah it, it's it's very much like a it's a kind of a joke but it is treated very seriously like the boner is by yeah. the, the narrative and there's so much like investment in you kind of you being the character name sorry <laughs> he, he uh <laughs> i dated a guy named you for a while once and that was yeah you do anyway. not do you do not do anymore black shoe. yeah exactly <laughs> no so um <laughs> i thought like even though like the boner is like kind of a joke like it, it yeah. has like a really important meaning in like how we see like you handle like the, the manifestation and the creation of his sexuality well, and he immediately is like kind of made to find it perverse and he is labeled by as perverse by everyone and um much of the drama of the movie is about him figuring out that perversion means nothing like in this sort of like Foucault way like Mm. it is merely just the label and the earnesty in in him is all that really counts well I mean he never he never touches the boner does he until right at the end well does he even touch it because I thought he does when he's um yeah, yeah. I thought and the it, film was gonna end with like a parallel of him like masturbating for the first time and then imagining running and meeting her as opposed yeah. to like them actually meeting. I thought that was what was gonna happen. Mm-hmm. I was very disappointed when it didn't, but there we go. Well, also like <laughs> but, the movie kind of hyper focuses, like even though there's so many female characters, it's all fixated on like male sexuality and power like even the women characters their whole story is reliant on the male figures and role mm-hmm. models in their life like the stepmom she needs a husband and then yoko her dad's like a creepy man who like you know has tons of girlfriends and also like sexually like touches her in ways that is not comfortable and then kiyuku is like her dad's like just super oppressive like one kind of like use and they both kind of become this kind of original sin, but she just takes their life because of you having this nervous breakdown. Like it's all fixated on the male sexuality, kind of like in Foucault's books. Where that, like, there's not much vagina in the film. Like I no. feel like conceptually there's not much badge going on. No, <laughs> no the, the, the vagina is like terrifying in the abstract in this movie. Oh, right. like, yeah. Like it's always no, covered. And it's always, Yeah. Under the panty. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that that's, like, the, the end-all, be-all of it is, like, the actual, like, erotic satisfaction is, like, not from the pussy here. It's, like, in, like, the... In, like, the guarded underwear, like, in between the thighs. And uh, I love the beginning sequence when we see him getting his, like, martial arts, like, training montage and, like, taking the upskirt pictures. And uh, this man who's training him has, like, all of these, like, tableaus mm. of, like, beautiful imagery of, like... <laughs> like the upskirt panties it's very refreshing to see something so um heinously masculine and like like horny in that way because even though the movie like may not be like sexy or whatever like it's really refreshing to see it like visualized so in- so in depth no i mean i'm kind of into it now like i was with my friend <laughs> yesterday dressing him up in um in some of my old girl clothes because uh, he's a little twink, so obviously. Um, and I was taking Pika panties, like obviously with consent, but like it was hot, it was fun, you know? 
I love Jenny's like extremely <laughs> Sadian like uh, existence outside of this. You're like a, you're like the cult leader girl. Yeah, I am. Where's my little buddy coming out from my boobs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, after we have their faded meeting, um, at the end of the first hour, we move on to the next portion of of the movie. It's all divided into chapters, and this is where, um. She ends up being a transfer student to his school and then also introduced as his uh, stepsister in the into the family unit. And uh, while I was reading Care of the Self and it had all of this discussion about like the um, focus on self as like the creation of the family. You can really see that in this movie because everybody who's like creating this like warped, disastrous family unit is kind of um, putting themselves in based off like this individualism and exclusive care for the self. Yes. Mm. So, yeah. Donna, what did you think about this section of the movie? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, when it's, it's really interesting to me, and uh, it's it's a bit mysterious that, uh, like when 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 you re- realizes that uh, the girl I forgot her name, uh, Maria. He calls her Maria, but she's not Maria. Oh, yeah, uh, Yoko. Yoko, yeah. Uh, when Yoko it, it will become a, p- a part of his family because his her mother will marry his father, uh, he's like, you have to call uh, you brother. And he also focuses on the fact that they're still not brother and sister. So it's just like this pre-incest, post-incest uh, <laughs> subplot happening here. All the while, like, she's still in love with the Miss Scorpion drag yeah. persona. And, yeah. like, is she hates him, so. Exactly. In love with the drag persona. Oh, yeah. I mean, Miss Scorpion is fab. Mm. I love her. She's gorgeous. <laughs> I love that she wears no makeup either. It just, like, the sunglasses and that's enough. Yeah. It's so cute. Yeah. And what did you kind of think about this section? Yes, me. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I feel like cute, but I mentioned like the no makeup thing kind of makes sense because like you isn't like the epitome of like what you consider masculine. So he kind of can rock the both sides. Like he's kind of, it's more about him as a person. That's a, later. It's later revealed that it was attractive to Yoko, but it's like he can be masculine and feminine all at the same time. And there's not really like he doesn't really think about it. Like there's not just. Mm. regimen of like feeling like guilt around it or anything like there's guilt around other aspects and this never becomes a part of like oh i've sinned by doing drag like do you notice he never mentions to his dad like oh i sinned by doing something that's probably not okay in the catholic church i don't know maybe it is i'm not catholic it's not (laughs) 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 but it's like when it comes up and it's kind of like interesting that's not a thing that he views as like problematic um i think I think um, you're right, and I think you is like a very interestingly gendered character. But I also think I I don't know if this would have been like deliberate on the part of uh, the director, but like I forgot his name. But uh, yeah, no that worries. one. Um, but I do think like there are a lot of moments, um, and I think there was there was a scene when you is in drag. But gets a boner and then you see like the drape of his dress is like interrupted by the boner and like that's like a sort of like horror trope for like transphobic like tranny films like uh-huh. there's this kind of like connection between the kind of the horror of the boner and his sort of drag persona and his femininity that I think was interesting. And then interesting that kind of it's that side of him that Yoko loves. Right. Well, I mean, it's in the the first meeting where it, it's his first boner that he f- feels so much pride in having. Yes, and, uh, you're right. Yeah. It, it's like a climactic, like positive moment for him. Like the um, sort of like gender transgression here is uh, so refreshing because it like in that Foucault sense as well, it's like not, like a named sort of thing it's not like a endlessly individuated sort of cycle of, of language to give yourself and your precise mechanisms like a word it's like just something that 
exists in that moment and it's like sort of like the abstracted sexuality so i i love all of this stuff with you and drag and where this ends up is uh throughout the whole movie the zero church cult has been slowly becoming more prominent and um by like the third act of the film we have them hijacking the entirety of Yu's family um he becomes like sort of like a uh, father of perversion himself and like hears people's confessions as to their own perverse behavior um and then he, me too mm. it's so good mm, that was so good i love that one of the people just has like a fetish for bombs yeah yeah it reminds me of your episode of uh with with diana oh yeah absolutely it's yeah. a fetish for terrorism so <laughs> i i love all that stuff and um he becomes like sort of like a micro celebrity and like does like uh porno tapes and um by the end of the movie he decides to try to break yoko out of the out of the zero church and we have my favorite scene in the whole movie which is her reading corinthians to yes, him on the beach. yes yes i was thinking of that now yeah i i thought about it so much watching it and basically we have the situation where he has tried to like get her out they've like abducted her and like locked her in a van with you for uh, several days at a time like eating convenience store onigiri and uh, they have like they're they don't speak or like they're not communicating and then finally it, it erupts into this uh, violent confrontation on the beach and for four unmin like unbroken minutes of one shot um, she screams uh, Corinthians in Japanese to him and it is the most moving thing I've ever seen <laughs> like love is suffering love is not jealousy it's not possession it's it's amazing it's so Christian to be honest <laughs> mm. extremely love, that that passage it. inspired me to start reading the bible actually and then oh, did, I is that what it was so beautiful it and was that scene yeah and it, it also solidifies her image as this Mary saint miracle bringing persona to be honest mm. like mm. her idea of love is not attachment it's not jealousy it's not uh yeah it's amazing mm. i love that scene maybe after they hold hands through the glass they read each other song of solomon <laughs> that would be sexy very sexy i just i don't i don't have like any attachments to the bible really I, like i never read it like growing up or, or i have no relationship with it but um, to hear that poetry, I thought it was so striking in, in December that I, I had to read the whole Bible just to, you know, see what kind of uh, art could produce that kind of feeling. And I haven't gotten any of that yet um, in the Old Testament. Maybe mm -hmm. eventually we'll get there. But her reading of the line and like the tears in her eyes is honestly one of the most breathtaking performances. It's just stunning. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, the movie ends with you going through the the church, breaking, uh, trying to break her out with a sword uh, in his scorpion drag. Uh, it's a, a failure, but Yu's uh, pure, perverse, and undying love for Yoko inspires like the leader of the church to kill herself in the last moment. And Yu uh, suffers a mental breakdown. They're in the hospital. And Yoko tries to revive his sense of self and uh, he d eventually gets a boner and breaks free from the prison, smashes through a cop window and saves, uh, their love is saved. It's, it's amazing. I loved the, um, the breaking into the Zero Church, that whole set piece, but spe specifically because um, as soon as they're in that white room with mm. the white tiles, um, there's this really specific production of Hamlet that the RSC did in like 2008, I think, with David Tennant in. No, it must have been 2009. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and something about the set they used for that really reminded me of that just sort of like really broad white space. Well, it's like family, thing. like abstracted into, you know. Yeah, into this, a... into this space where like they're sitting around the table, there's the mother, the father, and then having that space be filled with like blood and people killing themselves and the, the way in which like certain people would die and then there'd be some dialogue and then another person would die. Like it suddenly just kind of became this massive Shakespearean tragedy. And, That's like, so true. In another, in another sort of version of the film, like, you know, they could have died there and then together, like if it was a different kind of film. But I just thought like that scene for me was like such a, 
sort of like epic Shakespearean moment. Yeah. Totally. Love the blood. Yeah. Oh my God. The blood. It was so red. So, so red. Amazing. Oh yeah. It's that really special type of like a late um, aughts, like Japanese like blood where for some reason, like all of the cinema from like these five years just like <laughs> has like the fakest, like reddest blood you've ever seen. And so much of it every time anyone bleeds at all um like one character is like cutting themselves early in the film and it's like this like comically like yeah. extreme amount of gushing blood yeah yeah yeah. i thought yeah. speaking of like the late aughts i thought one thing that was really interesting about the film was like the way it shot the way yeah like the even just like the kind of the texture the quality of the camera work like um i guess it's like the coloring but also the way like in wide shots you'd have those like sort of darkened corners and then those zooms, like as zooms, those, yeah, yeah. There's a very specific aesthetic to it, which is it's like very um, nymphomaniac to me. What, I got yeah. a lot of like, var- it, like Lars von Trier from the way it shot, and it, it almost feels like it's kind of shot on like one of those old digital handheld yes. cameras. And did you guys notice how like Kyoko's desire is also related to pop culture? where she would at first like think of Kurt Cobain and Jesus, yeah. but then she's like, maybe I'm a lesbian. And then we have Patti Smith on the wall. And I thought that's really incredible. Yeah, yeah. it's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I think also what's really interesting is for Yoko's character development shift, isn't even when you has this mental breakdown, when he's basically like showing his like utmost love for Yoko, which like most people would never do. It's when she's finally in a stable kind of like the the perfect kind of like regimented family where she's actually able to understand like how relationships really are supposed mm-hmm. to be. And then she discovers through talking to, I think it's like her cousin or whatever about like, oh, she's like, oh, fuck. He was, the, he loves me and I love him. And that's when mm-hmm. she finally realizes like, I don't hate men. I just had really shitty relationships with all these men in my life. And she kind of has this development because she sees what a proper family in a time period actually looks like. And it's amazing because it is still transgressive and isn't like a sort of like trad cat kind of like, oh, like return to the family and the mm-hmm. purity because it's really actually about like her embracing like his, you know, perverse sense of sexuality and like mm. her passing through it and seeing all of like these terrible like great structure structures of like uh, male oppression that she's gone through and like the violence and the perversion that she's witnessed from him it all is, is sort of like this moment of passage for her and it's extremely Foucault in that way that like she uh, sees that all of those elements like construct a love in him and mm. it's really beautiful and timeless like I don't I can't recall almost any art from the 21st century that so boldly embraces like being a fucked up like perverted weirdo and seeing it as like true beauty and love i love it yeah me too even even his father the priest has this kind of perversion as well like at some point he's like when i when i pray i don't see god i see that woman he's in love with and Mm -hmm. like his relationship with love and sin and all of that it's so complex and beautiful yeah, and there's that amazing shot of them all bearing the cross together in the desert. Yes. <laughs> Just absolutely one of the most perfect images of the movie because you see every every character here has themselves like so detailed and like the four hour length of the movie allows for like every single character to be like completely human and real. So when you see them all like struggling to lift up that cross in the desert, mm. it is just absolutely breathtaking Mm, completely so we have now read three books of (laughs) michelle foucault we've read the history of sexuality Uh, don and i have seen three movies sam has seen two and our friend jenny has seen one and from all of this art i think the the biggest takeaway i have is that you can create like beauty and you can create extreme emotion and find meaning uh, through registering sexuality and you know seeing how it defines yourself and allowing it to be like a central aspect of your character that's really I think what makes life beautiful and by I enacting have, it enacting it sexuality yeah. is 
a truly enormous like romantic like force on this earth and ignoring it or completely disregarding it or not being honest about it or confining it to the bedroom absolutely all of these things are like what can ruin a life like Mm. i have such a renewed like um grandiosity in sexuality now and i've Mm. always had it but going through um these books with everyone has cemented it in stone for me yeah Mm. it is i agree with everything you said it's a reaffirming experience yeah fuck asexuals no i'm just kidding (laughs) 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 i think i'll actually cut it there why not okay anyone else have anything else they wanted to add uh listen to like a prayer again because it makes it all better yeah absolutely (laughs) okay well um i'm gonna cut my vocal